But tonight I want to go back to Psalms 23, and I'd like to read the entire passage. So if you'd stand with me this evening, it's probably the most memorized chapter in the Bible, and you could probably quote it with me, but why don't we just read this together, since it's such a familiar passage. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for You are with me. Your rod and Your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Father, Pastor Rick prayed for us just now as we go to the Word, but I just ask you one more time, as we prepare for Thanksgiving, Lord, we want to take a different look this year. We want to look at who has invited us to the table and what's at the table for us and I'll thank you for it, for it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Well, I know some of the things that are going to be on our table Sunday, our Thursday for Thanksgiving. We have family driving up, some that will be leaving this evening and be joining with us. And, but at the same time, I've been on the phone with families that aren't going to be able to have Thanksgiving like they normally have it. Uh, yesterday and today we've been praying with Fred and Carlene Schaff as Fred is in hospice care and last night just a wonderful time of prayer and then Pastor Rick was telling me he had a wonderful time of prayer with him as well. I thought so often about what took place with Fred and I in the hospital this last week. When I said to Fred, I said, Fred, there are some things about the Christian life we're never going to know until we close our eyes and we wake up in heaven. That moment when we close them here and we draw our last breath, it's knowing that we are in heaven and it's with Christ. And the more I've meditated on how Fred responded and the more I've thought about what just came out of my mouth that I believe, but just thinking about that and pondering that more, there's something that Augustine said that comes back to me that makes me just feel, I need to remind us of this. Augustine said, the Christian should be a hallelujah from the head to the feet. Can we give him a hand of praise for that tonight? A Christian just ought to be a hallelujah from the head to the feet. Because right after being told you're going to go home very, very soon, we're sitting there talking and Fred's hands are lifted in worship. And what can give you that kind of joy except to know that there is a God, there is a heaven, and this God loves you forevermore? We looked at Sunday morning's seven feasts and how they pointed to Christ and how on every one of these feasts, as we talked about them Sunday morning, there was a day of prescribed rest. There was no work to take place, but we were to rest and enjoy the day and, and worship the Lord. Harvey Cox, who wrote in the Feast of Fools back in the 60s, wrote these words, We have terribly damaged the inner experience of Western man. We have pressed him so hard towards useful work and rational calculation he has all but forgotten the joy of a static celebration, antic play, and free imagination. I got interested in Harvey Cox a few years ago, probably in the 
early 90s because Cox wrote a book about Pentecostals and Charismatics and their infectious joy, their love for the Lord, and how that they weren't the most organized church, they weren't the most struggled, they weren't the most structured church. But in all the services that he had attended, he said, I felt something that I don't often feel in other churches in their presence. And he says, I felt God. I experienced God. And he said, it wasn't the order that I was accustomed to. It wasn't the tradition that I was accustomed to. But he said, I found myself hungering for more of what they experienced. And so I began to read Harvey Cox and to find out what this man thought and what brought this man who was becoming an aged scholar by then to this point, who had been a Harvard Divinity professor who taught at Chicago, this man who suddenly began to speak warmly and friendly of spirit-filled people. And I found this in one of his books that you can still find at A Books if you ever want to take the time to read it, but where he talks about in the 60s we were so rushed and so pushed and so pushed towards rational thought and work that we never took time to celebrate. I wrote in my journal these words, if that was true in the 60s, how much more is it true in these early 2000s as we began a new millennium? And tonight as we approach 2020, in just a few days, I wonder how much more even so it is true. I want you to know you have done something wise, you have done something biblical, you have done something holy, you have done something good. For your spiritual health, for your physical health, for your family health, you have stopped everything you're doing to come and worship the Lord tonight. This is what Thanksgiving is to be all about. It's a time to celebrate. The time that God invites me to His table. Where well, the Lord says, I have prepared a feast for you. I prepared a table before you. I, I have spread out a spread and a feast for you. And in verse 5, he says that that feast is in the presence of our enemies. Now, if you understand the context of that just a little bit, if you spread out or if you invited a stranger into your tent, if you invited a stranger into your home, you were obligated to protect him. You were obligated to protect him from his enemies. And so what David is saying here about the Lord, when I am surrounded by all of my enemies, I am under your protection, I am under your care. Friends, as we come to this table tonight and we celebrate the Lord's Supper and we eat and drink in His memory, I want to remind you tonight, you are under the protection of God's care, not just for today, not just for tonight, but when we close our eyes and open them up and discover what eternal life is really all about. That is good news. I don't care who you are. But I, I, I want to take you back to the first verse. The Lord is my shepherd. This is an odd positioning of words. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord, this is the word that was used to, for God to describe himself to Moses. He says, I am that I am. I am the eternal one. I am the one who's self-sufficient. I am the one who is all wisdom. I am the one who is everywhere. I am the one who's present at all times. I have no need of anything. I am wholly separate from you. As Moses took off his shoes, he was taken by the fact of this burning bush and he goes to the most powerful Pharaoh in the world and says, the I am has sent me. We got to understand what's being said here. The I am says, I am your shepherd. If mamas don't want their boys to grow up to be cowboys, I want to tell you something. No Israeli mama wanted her boy to grow up to be a shepherd. No Israeli mama wanted her boy. The shepherd was the lowliest of positions. The shepherd was the bottom rung of the social ladder. Sheep had to be cared for day and night, summer and freezing rain. 
even when David was going to be crowned or anointed the king of Israel, his own father Jesse wouldn't call him from tending the sheep because when the prophet came, because God sent him to his house, there was no way he thought that David was going to be considered because David was a nobody. He was a shepherd. I want you to know Philippians chapter 2 says that Jesus emptied himself of everything he became for you and I, the gentle shepherd. We ought to give him a hand of praise for that tonight. That's true leadership. Well, Jesus was teaching and preaching about the kingdom. One man said to him, he said, what a blessing, what a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. And Jesus replied with this story, a man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. And when the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to tell the guests, come, the banquet is ready. Oh, I agree. What a great thing it will be to be a part of that feast in heaven. I agree. What a great thing it is tonight to come and be a part of this feast as we remember Thanksgiving. I agree. What a great thing it is. But how many more were invited? How many more were invited to come and to partake of the table? Because the rest of the story goes on. Jesus says the invitation went out and people were either too busy or people had other things to do or people were not interested enough. And so the king says, cast those people into darkness and you go find the most wretched. You go find the most miserable. You go find the most poor. It's why Jesus says blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You and I are acknowledging something tonight. What's going to be on our table for Thanksgiving Day is not enough. We need more of Christ tonight. We need more of His goodness. We need more of His presence and as we sing those songs this evening to your name we give all the glory. We're the people in that story that has responded to the invitation and said Lord we're willing to come this evening. I don't know about you, but when I look at this, I just think how loving the shepherd is because Jesus goes on to say, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. The great I am, the all-sufficient one, the eternal one, the almighty, I don't have need of anything and I give my life for you. I give my... We wouldn't make it into the kingdom if He didn't give His life. It's why it puzzles me sometimes when people lose that joy of salvation. And it happens. David said, restore to me the joy of my salvation. It's kind of like when sometimes people will say to me, Pastor... Somebody asked me just this week, Pastor, you've been married over 40 years, and you really, truly, before God, you truly love Becky more now than you ever did before. And I said, yeah, I love her more now than ever before. I said, I married her when she was young, beautiful. I picked her up, and I carried her across the threshold, and I said, we've been married 43 years, and I want you to know... I love her now more than ever, and I look at our pictures when we got married. Honey, we look better now than we did when we got married 43 years ago. 
Even our kids say we look better now than we did 43 years ago. Why? Because there is a joy. There is a maturity. There is, listen, there is something more in this life than what this world, this sex-obsessed, this crazy world who's got to have more of this and more of that in eternal youth. I want you to know there is eternal life in Christ. Life gets better and better as you dine at the table of the Lord Jesus Christ. It always gets better as you dine at His table. Now, I want to tell you, God has made a complete provision for me at this table. A complete provision. You know, when I read this tonight, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. You know, I don't have time because I believe the Lord wants me to talk to you from Psalm 23 tonight. I don't have time to tell you about gifts of healing. I don't have time to tell you about gifts of miracles. I don't have time to tell you about all of these other things that God gives to us in the new covenant. But just what here is here is amazing to me. First of all, God says He provides rest for me. God provides rest for me. I mean, that, that's unheard of. The pharaohs of this world and the dictators of this world, they don't provide rest. They want more work. I was talking to one man who owns a very large real estate company and we were having lunch together. He was asking me for some spiritual counsel and some spiritual advice. And he told me about his company. He says, I'm only getting 40 to 50% productivity out of my employees. I, I want to get at least 85% productivity out of my employees. And I said, well, what's the average that a company gets out of their employees? And he said, well, the average is only about 35%. I'm getting 40 to 45%. I said, can I ask you a question? Do your employees like you? He goes, that doesn't matter. I'm paying them to work. And I says, I can tell you this. If you treat your employees right, they will want to work more for you. But if they're afraid of you, they're only going to work when you're around. And unless you want to micromanage, and I'm just talking to, I'm talking to him as a pastor. I'm not talking to him as Stephen Covey or, or any other business leader. I'm just talking to him as a pastor. What motivates people is love. And to His beloved, God gives sleep. To His beloved, God gives rest. You know, because this is so important, I want you to see this. This is about a shepherd. And if you've never read Philip Keller's book, A Shepherd Looks at Psalms 23, it's a best-selling book, New York Times best-selling book years ago that Philip Keller wrote. He was a shepherd. And he said there are four things that are necessary for a sheep to rest. He says, number one, they've got to be free from fear. He said, because if a sheep is afraid, they won't rest. He said, number two, they've got to be free from friction. Because if sheep are at odds with one another, their own kind, if sheep are fighting sheep, they won't 
rest. They won't lay down. He said they've got to be free from flies because if the flies are biting them and pests are bothering them, they get fidgety and they won't rest. So a shepherd works hard to keep them free from, from pests and things that will attack them. He says, but finally they've got to be free from famine. He says, as long as a sheep is hungry, they're not going to lay down and rest. And so it's interesting to me who David, who's going to say, I'm in the midst of my enemies, but I'm free from fear. I'm free from friction. I'm free from flies. I'm free from famine. I'm telling you, you can live in this broken and hurting world we live in, but be safe and contented and happy in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're at His table. If you're at His table and enjoying what God has for you. Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Say that with me. I will give you rest. Look at your wife tonight and says, Honey, I'm going to wash the dishes Thursday. I'm going to give you rest. You see, if you'd have done that, revival might would have broke out in this church tonight. (laughs) Becky's looking at me. I'll help. (laughs) You see, God is the one that gives us rest. He's the perfect provider of all I need. The second thing God gives to me, and I'm, I have to be fast tonight. This is one of those services where I just have to keep trucking. He gives us life. God gives us life. It's what Fred was lifting his hands about. It's what Fred and I prayed about last night. God gives us life. This summer, we went out to Kensington Park and walked around and looked at the animals and the sheep there and I noticed some of the sheep were button heads with each other and one little female sheep came up next to a ram and he butted her out of the way because he's afraid he's going to get her food and none of them would lay down. I was asking about, you know, the sheep. He said, no, we have to really just kind of work with them. But Philip Keller also tells a story about this in his book, A Shepherd Looks at Psalms 23. Sheep will look for a place to, to lie down that's kind of got a depression in the ground. And he says, because they're so overweight and they carry so much wool on them, if they're not careful, they'll roll over in trying to get comfortable. And he says, if a sheep rolls over, it's just a few hours before the sheep dies. Because the sheep panics and it begins to paw, trying to get back up. And gases build up in his body and he has a heart attack and he dies. I've told you before, it's not a very complimentary thing that he calls us the sheep of his pasture. They're pretty dumb, helpless animals, you know? And so a shepherd has to constantly be watching because if the shepherd is not there to roll the sheep back over, the sheep will die. It's the reason it's always kind of taught me about what Christ meant when he restored Peter. Peter who had failed, Peter who had denied the Lord, people, Peter who swore he never knew the Lord. Have you ever known those people that they make really bold statements, but then they can't follow up? I mean, after three years, you'd have thought Philip, I mean, Peter would have just stuck it right out. But Peter denied the Lord. Aren't you glad God never gives up on you? Aren't you glad for what we looked at Sunday morning? God saves us for eternity. And Peter is out fishing, and and get this, the Lord, the risen Lord Jesus Christ, He prepares a table for Peter 
on the beach. I love a beach cookout. But you know, Peter is invited to the table. And Peter comes and he eats with Jesus. I've really been having some fun just going through my Bible and saying, Lord, help me to look with new lenses. Help me to look with new glasses on. Seeing where sometimes Jesus heals people before he ever forgives them of their sins. He'll heal them and then he'll forgive them of their sins. Sometimes we think we've got to earn something from God. We are nothing to the Lord from the Lord. He invites us to the table. And he invites Peter. And after Peter eats what the Lord has cooked, he says to Peter, he says, feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. And if you'll look with me, Jesus served them bread and fish. And three times he told him, feed my sheep. And then Jesus told him, follow me. Would you look at me this morning or this evening? God is not ashamed of you. God is not ashamed of you. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter how much you may be ashamed of yourself tonight, Jesus prepares a table for you this evening. And he says to you, feed my sheep. Come and follow me. Look out for your brothers and sisters. Look out for the others that you love. Thirdly, he gives us guidance. Again, Keller says, sheep require continual guidance. They, they have to be directed. They have to be led. They, as a matter of fact, sheep are, and, and again, I, I'm just telling you what Keller wrote and what I've studied from others of writing about sheep and shepherds. And sheep will just go in and graze in a pasture and eat stuff that is poisonous for them. So the sheep constantly have to be guided and directed. And, And when you read this, he goes, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. I've been to that valley. I've gone down into that valley. It's oppressive. It's hot. It's a desert. The air down at the bottom is, is, is heavy. And when you go through that, I mean, it was tough for me as a young man, climbing up rocks and climbing down rocks and crossing that, 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 that dry stream bed, that dry river bed. And I thought to myself, what would it be like for a shepherd to lead sheep through this hot, forbearing place to find better pasture? And the fact that you're going through a dry place, the fact that you're going through a difficult place doesn't mean that God is not with you. But if you can stand the pull, and God is going to pull you through tonight. Give him a hand of praise this evening. He's going to pull you through. All of us go through those difficult times. Sometimes it's cancer. Sometimes it's abandonment. Sometimes it's because of our own faults. We've denied the Lord. Peter says, I'm going fishing. I mean, that's what he said. He's, he's going back to his old life. I've given up. Surely God's given up on me. Why? I, I swore. I swore about him. I, I took God's name in vain. I said I didn't know him. God wouldn't have any more time for me. I want you to know something. God will come and seek you out wherever you're at. One old preacher that I heard when I was young one time, he says, God will sick the hounds of heaven upon you. I would rather the shepherd come than a hound dog come and get me. But the point is, he will come and find you. All of us, read this with me. All of us. Does that include you, Caleb? Does that include you, Mark? All of us. Does that include you? Does that include you, Carrie Valentine? 
I knew it did. I just wanted to be sure. All of us, myself included, like sheep, read it with me, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. What path does he lead us on? Psalms 23 calls it the path of righteousness. Not that I'm better than somebody else, but the right path. The path of life, the path of joy, the path of happiness, the path of healing, the path of prosperity, the path of eternal life. That's the path that God leads us down. He restores our soul. Can you say amen? Fourthly tonight, He leads us in paths of safety. He leads us in paths of safety. This one thing I know, and that is when you give your heart to Christ, whether you are like someone who goes to war and you die in battle serving God in our country, whether you're someone like a police officer, like a police officer was gunned down this last week in Detroit, whether you're a fireman who gives your life in, in, in fighting a fire, whether you're a mother or father who dies, or whatever it is, you are safe in the arms of God. You see, there's safety in Christ that there is nowhere else. I don't mean to be morbid, but listen to me. One day, all of us are going to close our eyes and sleep. You say, Pastor, you've been healed, but one day I'm going to die. And one day, I'm going to open my eyes in heaven. And I'm going to look around, and I'm going to be surprised how different it is than what I thought it would be. I'm going to be surprised who's there, because there's some people I'm going to look at and go, I didn't ever think you'd be here in heaven. And they're going to look at me and say, well, I never thought you'd be here either. I mean, there are times that I'm amazed that I have a place at the table. Aren't you? I'm simply amazed that God made a place for me at the table. I picked on Carrie, but all of us have gone astray like sheep. And yet God says, in me there is safety both in this life and forevermore. But until that time, until that time, I'm going to preach. I'm going to do what God called me to do. You're going to do what God has called you to do. Because as long as God has purpose for my life, there is no weapon formed against you and me that shall ever prosper. That night, the Lord appeared to Paul and said, Be encouraged, Paul. Just as you've been a witness to me here in Jerusalem, you must preach the good news in Rome as well. And then, thirdly, fifthly tonight, provision. God provides provision. It's so easy to think about the food on our table, the homes that we sleep in. And all of that is God's gracious provision. As a matter of fact, let's just look at Psalms 104, verse 13. You send rain on the mountains from your heavenly home, and you fill the earth with the fruit of your labor. You cause grass to grow for the livestock and plants for people to use. You allow them to produce food from the earth, wine to make them glad, and olive oil to soothe their skin, and bread to give them strength. I think we sometimes just forget Kroger wouldn't be full. Sam's Club wouldn't have groceries. Amazon couldn't deliver if God didn't provide the natural resources that we need. None of what we have is possible without God. It's why it just blows me away sometimes that people can live so thoughtlessly regarding this life. 
One Christian author a couple of years ago wrote a book and says Christians, talking about Christians who live like atheists, they're saved, but they never stop and thank God for the simple, ordinary things of life each and every day that we enjoy, that God provides. He provides for you. He provides for me. And then I'm going to invite the band up. God provides an eternal home for you and me. He provides an eternal home for you and me. Pastor Corey is going to come and lead us in receiving the communion. We're going to take together. We're going to worship. And then we're going to come and we're going to bring our Thanksgiving offering tonight. But here's the question I have for you this evening that I'd like to just be real blunt with you for just a moment. Have you given your heart and life to Jesus Christ? Now stop and think with me for just a moment. Have you fully trusted in Jesus? Sunday morning I asked that question. And I told you that sometimes some people say to me, what do you mean when you say commit your life to Christ? Or what do you mean when you say cross the line and give your heart to Jesus? That just means quite simply, you trust Jesus. Listen to me. Look at me now. You trust Jesus and Jesus alone to remove and forgive your sins. The cup and the bread, they don't remove our sins. What Jesus accomplished at Calvary once and forever provided atonement. This feast is an atonement feast. Literally, at one mint. At one mint. Atonement. That God provides for you. And the reason we're taking communion together tonight after the message is you're invited to the table. You're invited to the table just by simply trusting in Christ in Christ alone. I love that song. In Christ alone I place my trust and I find my glory at the bottom of the cross. With every victory let it be said of me my source of strength, my source of hope is Christ alone. It's not the church. It's not your good works. It's Christ. And the good news is He is here tonight. He's here. And when you sang to Him this evening, you made His heart glad. He's not an egomaniac, but I want to tell you something. We were created to glorify God. And we are not complete until we glorify God and we worship the Lord. Harvey Cox said, I found something among those people. It wasn't their structure. It wasn't their tradition I was used to. He said, but I felt and I sensed the presence of God. I hope that you sense His love and His presence and His care for you right now. Would you bow your heads with me? And I just want to pray a simple prayer. And if you agree with that prayer, you repeat it after me before Pastor Corey comes. Say, Lord Jesus, 
I'm sorry for my sin. That's our moral failures. That's what we've all done wrong. The Bible says we've all sinned. I'm sorry for my sins. And I thank you for paying the price for my sins when you died for me upon the cross. And though I haven't lived for you, you invite me to come into your family and to come to your table tonight. I don't understand it all, but I believe in you, Lord Jesus. And I invite you into my heart and I ask you, forgive me of my sins and be my Lord, my Savior, my Master. And everybody agreed and said, Amen. Thank you.